Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Notes from a Midwest Cowgirl with me, Grace Pierstorff. I'm just sitting here in my chair on this early morning, and it is cold here in the Midwest. It, I think it's a high of 15 today, low of 3 degrees, and the next five days or so, lows in like the negative 5 to negative 7 or so, like really, or no, actually I think it's negative 12 one day as a low. Like that is insane and highs in the single digits. And if you're not currently living in the Midwest and you don't know, we just got dumped a ton of snow on us. Like I think it snowed, well it snowed last night and then a couple of days ago and a couple of days before that. So we're probably sitting at, oh gosh, I don't even know. Probably, I mean the piles are couple feet high like they sometimes come up to my chest I mean granted that's like pushing the snow from other distances but we probably are sitting at a foot and a foot and a half of snow in a lot of places and that's not everywhere but it's at least at least a foot deep and now we're going into the negative temperatures so this is just my advertisement right now if you want to live in the midwest definitely do so but be prepared that our winters are sometimes brutal but this is abnormal I will say that so I'm just sitting here on this cold morning I should have a cup of like hot tea and I found a pack of hot chocolate but I didn't have time to make that just wanted to record this episode because I'm so excited for what we're gonna be talking about today and it is probably my favorite well it's my favorite pastime that includes spending money I have other pastimes that of course are free but but probably my most favorite pastime when I have to put out some cash and that is thrifting. Now, you might not think, oh, we're going to be talking about thrifting. Like, what is there even to talk about? No, no, no. There's so much to talk about. We're going to be discussing the history of thrifting, the different types of secondhand stores you can go to, talking about fast fashion and how thrift stores help assist in that area, and just delving into the stigma that is slightly currently around secondhand thrift, but especially a couple decades ago and we're just going to be delving into the whole world of shopping secondhand. So I hope you're ready to delve right in and thank you so much for joining me on this episode today and make sure to hit that follow button to be notified for next week's episodes and the week after that because I am planning on doing one every week for the foreseeable future. I won't say anything more. Let's get right into talking about thrifting. When you think secondhand, what do you immediately think of? Do you think of gross germs on used clothing with stains and gross floors and people touching everything everywhere? Or in your mind, do you picture goods priced low and vintage finds and unique pieces to decorate your home with whatever group you're in or if you're somewhere in the middle we can talk about thrifting today and just I want to steer your mind towards how amazing shopping secondhand is all right so let's delve into the different types of secondhand stores the first type I like to classify as thrift stores. These are usually charities or non-for-profit businesses that operate the thrift stores and they sell donated goods. Almost anything that you have in your home, you can donate. 
Thrifters are usually run by charities or for-profit businesses, and they sell donated goods or used goods for a fraction of their original price. Some of these stores specialize in a singular item, like books or records, while a lot sell pretty much anything under the sun, anything that might be found in your home. And so with that, the quality of the goods can greatly vary. You know, you can find a piece, some pieces of clothing with some stains on them or some rips. Um, that's not always the case, but I know that I have found that because it's it's just tons of things usually going through these places. It's people who want to just get rid of stuff in their house, you know, especially spring cleaning or I know 2020 people were going through their homes and getting rid of so much stuff. So this past year has been great at thrift stores and certain ones that I like, there's Goodwill. I really like Salvation Army, but my favorite we have, oh, I don't know, probably five or so in my local area is St. Vincent de Paul stores. And they donate and give back. Um, so that's really good. I know Goodwill, I believe it says that it's a non nonprofit thrift store, but I don't know. For some reason, I always like St. Vincent de Paul better or Salvation Army, which we have a few. And then some for-profit thrift stores include Unique Thrift, Value Village, and Value Thrift. So I will say if you have a St. Vincent de Paul near you, I would highly recommend going. For some reason, I love just the layout that they have, and they usually have really good prices on things. I have found some amazing deals. I had just bought a pair of ice skates a couple months back, and they were, I think, 20 bucks, and they were in really great condition. I could get them resharpened if I need to, but really great condition. I found, you know, amazing dresses and tops and houseware decor. I got some candlesticks, and they were like a dollar a piece. Goodwill is great, but St. Vincent de Paul is my number one. So that's thrift stores. And then you have resale shops. And you might be thinking, well, I'm reselling anyways at thrift stores. What is the difference? And so they're similar to nonprofit thrift stores, but resale shops typically operate under an umbrella of a charitable organization or sometimes a hospital. So they are usually smaller than normal thrift stores and they tend to have better quality items because they're wanting to turn a profit and not just have clothes sitting around for a long time. And with that then, they require that the donors usually carefully call the items for donation and they only bring in, you know, gently used or new items to the stores. And oftentimes resale shops require that the donors uh, dry clean their clothes or make sure they're freshly washed before donating them. So those are res resale shops. And I'm sure you have some around you. I couldn't think of exact ones near me, but resale shops are relatively common depending on your area. And then the next type is pawn shops, which I hadn't really thought of that they are secondhand, but it, they are secondhand, just not one that I tend to go to. And so those often sell higher end items, usually like fine jewelry. I know people will bring their jewelry in when they're on a crunch and they need a couple bucks. Um, otherwise, they have electronics and musical in instruments, though some sell all types of goods. Um, they usually don't have good deals necessarily. They're lower priced than you might find somewhere else, but you're not going to get a big discount like you might find at your usual thrift store where it's just everything is kind of in a similar category with similar pricing and it's not specialty items that they've bought to resell. So that's uh, pawn shops. And then you have consignment stores. 
And a consignment store also can be really good because they operate differently than a regular thrift store. They're kind of the middleman between the owners and the buyers, and people bring in items to the store, and if they sell, then the consignment shop splits the proceeds with the owner. And that's not always the case because I know, for example, we have Plato's Closet here. And Plato's Closet, you bring in your items and they look it over, but they pay you right on the spot for those items, and then they put it out to resell. So instead of waiting until after the item sells they just give you the cash on the spot and it's not usually a ton of money but it is reselling your goods and so oftentimes they'll find and so usually consignment stores sell higher quality merchandise than you'd find at your normal thrift store um, sometimes they do you know just designer name brand or high-end home decor so consignment shops are a little more called to what you might want and definitely higher quality so those are another example of a secondhand store. And then one of my favorites are antique and vintage shops. And so these businesses usually deal in older housewares and decors, and some sell some retro clothing, which can be really great finds at antique stores because you know for sure they're vintage and they're not just thrown in with uh, fast fashion at a thrift store. So some antique and vintage shops specialize in items from a particular time period, or they just have generally antique and vintage items from you know span of 100 years sometimes and they can be really rare items they can be really neat to look at history sometimes I just like going to antique stores to look at everything I often don't buy things at antique stores especially just I'm not settled yet I don't have a house so I want to wait until I get to that time period in my life before I buy you know a bunch of houseware or furniture but there can be amazing goods. When I was in college, there was an antique store that was three stories tall. And I would just go there on a Friday night after school and spend sometimes definitely over an hour just looking through it all. You know, there's everything under the sun and things you've never even heard of. I would love going through the old art section or the glassware or just all these little knickknacks and goodies that we don't necessarily have in our culture today where everything is going so fast and you have new things on the shelf all the time. So if you have never been to an antique or vintage store, I would look it up on Google Maps, see where the closest one is to you, and just go check it out. I will say you have to have an open mind because some things aren't in like the most perfect condition. But for me, I love things that are old and have a story. And just thinking about where those items have been, who has been their owner, you know, what have they been used for? Um, how many owners maybe have they gone through? I love thinking about the history of those pieces, what they originally, you know, purchased for. And it's just so interesting to think about all the life that has been lived in these pieces instead of, oh, I just bought this piece of plastic Tupperware, used it a couple times, threw it away. I really love the well-worn, well-loved pieces uh, of houseware decor usually or uh, kitchenware. That's just my go-to at antique stores. So not going to rant forever about those shops, but I will say overall, St. Vincent de Paul is my favorite and pretty much any antique or vintage shop that I can find, I will love to go to. So thrifting is becoming large. It's becoming huge. And actually, it has a National Thrift Store Day, at least in the U.S., and that's August 17th. 
Don't know how they picked it, but August 17th is National Thrift Store Day. So that's one thing I wanted to chat about is the fast fashion industry and how that impacts thrift stores. And this was kind of shocking to me. Um, I've done some research before, but I kind of forget the number all the time. But the average American throws away 81 pounds of clothing per year. 81 pounds of clothing. And that's per year. Like, think of how long you live and the ma vast majority of time when you're getting rid of clothes. Like, 81 pounds of clothing per year. Like, that's absurd. Like, why are we taking in that much and needing to get rid of? Yes, I know, sometimes we have growing bodies and we're changing and whatnot. <clears throat> but it's not usually that we're changing that much once we reach adulthood. And I just, it makes me kind of upset that we've gotten to that point where we're just throwing away clothing that is perfectly fine now sometimes yes you have those cut up you know holy socks whatever and you're not going to donate those because there's huge holes in them whatever there's a huge rip um, or stain in a shirt that you've loved that probably won't get sold at a thrift store and that's hard too it's like how do we take care of our clothing to make sure we don't get rid of it um but if you calculate Americans alone, just the whole United States, Americans throw away 10.5 million tons of clothing every year. That is so, I can't even, I don't even know what that looks like. Like I hold up my t-shirt, it doesn't technically weigh that much. So to get to 10.5 million tons, that's insane. So how I look at it is thrifting gives the clothes another opportunity, and another life and purpose for them. And so studies have shown that 60% of clothes made worldwide are made from synthetic materials. So that's, you know, polyester, nylon, acrylic, and aka, like, that's plastic. Like, synthetic materials, when it boils down to it, it's plastic. So when you throw that away, that often sits in a landfill and just starts to decompose for hundreds of years, sometimes forever, with plastic. You know, like, plastic will not just disappear. Like, even if you have, I'm going to go on a small tangent, but in the ocean, plastics become microplastics. And if you haven't learned much about microplastics, um, I would say do a Google search, but be prepared that the ocean, if you, if, even if you look out and you don't really see anything, like, the ocean is filled with microplastics because plastic breaks down into smaller and smaller particles, but that is not saying that it's disappearing. So anyways, the plastic from your clothes will sit in a landfill for hundreds of years. And so when you buy secondhand, that means you'll be keeping that plastic out of the landfills and then you're positively contributing to the decrease in worldwide textile demand and subsequent waste. But it's not always easy because clothing doesn't always get purchased, which we'll get to in a minute. So let's just think about, let's say, a pair of jeans. Most of us wear jeans um, and there are a lot that are produced every single year. And so one pair of jeans takes approximately 1,800 gallons of water to make. That's one pair of jeans. Like, I think about how many jeans I have in my closet. It's probably around four or five currently that I wear on a consistent basis. And each one took 1,800 gallons of water to make. Again, I have no idea how much 1,800 gallons of water is. I can't even like fathom that like that's a lot of water that's like a portion of a river like a large river like that whole portion of the river that's one pair of jeans 
And if you go into, you know, any store these days, you know, Aerie or Hollister or I don't know, wherever you buy your jeans, like think of all the jeans in that room and each one takes 1,800 gallons of water to make. And the production process of those jeans also generates greenhouse gases equivalent to driving a car 80 miles. That's that one pair of jeans. That one pair of jeans is worth 1,800 gallons of water and equivalent of greenhouse gases emitted to driving a car 80 miles. Like, that's absurd. So just think about, like, all of those genes that are currently being produced and how much they're contributing to water waste and greenhouse gases emitted into our atmosphere. So there's so much more water and energy going into clothing production than many of us think. You know, and that's just, I just talked about genes, and genes take a lot of water. But think about all the clothing that we wear, that we see in stores. Like, that takes water to make. And greenhouse gases are being emitted by producing those. So let's think a little bit more about pollution. So about 90% of the cotton grown for textiles is genetically modified, which is a lot, 90%. Like it's not just cotton anymore, it's genetically modified. And that means it's usually heavily reliant on pesticides, which is not something I often think about. I think about pesticides being on clothing. But cotton is a plant that is grown and thus, it's usually genetically modified and means that it's reliant on the pesticides. And almost 20% of pesticide use worldwide is for use on cotton plants. Like 20% of pesticides. I honestly thought that most pesticides, you know, went towards things that we take into our body. But even pesticides are used on cotton plants, which we put on our bodies for clothes. And those chemicals contaminate nearby water supplies and acidify the soil oftentimes. The dyes used in textile making process also pollute water supplies. And when you switch to secondhand thus, the money you spend won't go towards supporting an industry that is characterized by water and air pollution. Now granted, you have to think, okay, most of those clothes though were originally produced and they originally, you know, contributed to water and air pollution. And I understand that, but in some ways, unless you're going to make your own clothing from scratch, you're going to have to kind of play into the game, but you don't have to play into the fast fashion industry. And okay, so fast fashion, let's quickly give a brief definition for that. Fast fashion is a term used to describe clothing designs that move quickly from the catwalk to stores and meet new trends. And the collections are often based on designs presented at fashion week events and that fast fashion allows mainstream consumers to purchase trendy clothing at an affordable price. And so you might be thinking to yourself, I could care less, you know, what's on the catwalk, what's at fashion week, and I hear you. But just know that what you see in stores in, is influenced by that in industry, by the fashion industry. So even if you might be thinking, well, yeah, I've just been seeing a lot of, you know, whether it's off-the-shoulder dresses or blazers or high-waisted jeans you know whatever it is like that is influenced by the fashion culture and that is goods into your stores and you end up purchasing those items even if you don't think you're contributing like that's fast fashion like old navy forever 21 i mean i could go on and on and name all of the general mall stores like that's all fast fashion they're not keeping the same clothing for weeks and months in there you know if you go and buy say this really cute hoodie, you go ahead and buy it. And then mm, it's like 
June and you don't really need it. And then you wear it for a little bit and then you decide later in the fall you want a different color. If you go back, I will almost guarantee you're not going to find that item because it's fast fashion. It's going in and it's going out. And then they're redoing more. They're creating more pieces. And so that fast fashion is not healthy for us because we're wanting constantly to buy the new best thing. When if you think years back, you know, I think of my great-grandmother, which if you didn't listen to the episode on women in the workforce the other week, I do talk about my great-grandmas and my grandmas and how women are shattering glass ceilings. So just plugging that really fast. But my great-grandma created most, if not all, of my grandma's and her siblings' clothing. We had just come across a picture the other day, and there were five children at the time. I think they ended up at seven children or eight children. I'm not sure. So a lot of kids, which means they have to make a lot of clothing. And my grandma and her siblings were wearing these beautiful, looks like wool or type of felt, like coats, um, with just beautiful hats. And you could see their sweaters, and they have cute little capes. And oh my goodness, like so much more originality in those pieces. But that also meant that they wore things for a long time and clothing was passed down to different siblings because they had to. Otherwise, my great-grandma would have to re-sew more items. But then they were more special and I saw some of their jackets were lined with fur and it was just these beautiful pieces that took a long time sometimes, I'm sure, to make. But then they stay in the family. They don't need to go out and buy new ones, you know, every season or every month. So anyways, that's my little pitch on fast fashion. I really try not to participate in fast fashion anymore. I will say there are a few times I go to shops like TJ Maxx and get a couple pieces, but I would say the majority of my wardrobe is thrifted goods because I've learned to kind of take my time with shopping, really figure out what I want in my wardrobe and I've learned about how many great pieces of clothing you can find at thrift stores. Now, things that are more like intimate, yes, I like to buy those new and I totally understand buying that stuff new. But if you're buying more of your basics, you know, jeans and other pants or sweaters or even just your classic, you know, t-shirt to throw on like thrift stores, they have it all. So I would say check it out. And about 20% of Americans actually do. 20% of Americans shop at thrift stores in any given year, and I could only assume that in 2020, more Americans shopped there due to a lot of losses of jobs and tighter budgets on a lot of people, and it's becoming more socially acceptable to shop at thrift stores. Now, that wasn't always the case. In the late 19th century, cities began to grow rapidly, and it wasn't always living out on the farm anymore. And that was partly because of the historical surge of U.S. immigration. People were moving in and they were moving in together because they didn't always have a lot at the time. And the Industrial Revolution introduced the mass production of clothing, which totally changed the game. That was so new. And the more affordable it was to buy the new clothes, the more people thought of clothes as disposable. They could just get rid of it. Their, you know, mom did not need to make them a piece that would get handed down to their siblings. They could just go out for affordable price and buy a new new dress. It was as simple as that. And so as urban populations grew, the size of living spaces shrunk. And that meant more possessions were being thrown away. They didn't have room for it anymore. And maybe they hadn't worn it in a couple months. So they thought, why not? I'll get rid of it now. And so there was a stigma attached to wearing used clothes that were owned by a stranger at the time. 
buying the items was a sign of a lack of money, and there was a bias against the people selling them. Used clothes were often available from push carts predominantly, and that was started by Jewish immigrants. And those professional options were often constrained by anti-Semitism. And so these Jewish immigrants were trying to make an affordable living, and that's what they did. They pushed push carts around and sold secondhand wares. And so there was that stigma around it. And so a quick story of this was on May 3rd of 1884, an issue of the Saturday Evening Post ran a satirical story about a girl who got smallpox from a dress she bought from a Jewish-owned resale shop. And I'm sure that's not the only example that was out there, but they're even just pushing anti-Semitism into secondhand shop. And I'm, yes, smallpox, it was a big thing back then. Um, it's not the issue now. In some ways, it's kind of interesting that I haven't overall felt a stigma around thrifting with COVID, even though that's like COVID could be living on those clothing. But wash your clothes after you get them from a thrift store. Wash your hands after you go around. But anyway, so in the 1890s, you could often buy the goods from rag dealers, again, which were usually Jewish immigrants. But with anti-immigrant and anti-Semitic prejudice set in, the public painted their profession as filthy and often predatory. So it was hard, but real money could be made in the thrift business. And so one group who saw the possibilities were Christian ministries looking for funding for their outreach programs. So I will say that, you know, Jewish immigrants, they were trying their best, but because of prejudice, they weren't able to step into those roles. And so Christian ministries, they didn't have that prejudice, which is not fair, but they got to then create these outreach programs. And Salvation Army and Goodwill offered a source of legitimacy. It was a sound store um, with a name behind it. And Americans started giving to charity more during this period as well. And Salvation Army had a quote-unquote salvage brigade, which they launched in 1897 out of the basement of a men's shelter. Residents went around the neighborhood with pushcarts asking for used clothes, and they got food and lodging in return. So it was beginning a way to... Um, give the men at the shelter a job and a thing to do for the day. And then what, in return, they got food and lodging. And then those used clothes started to go to the Salvation Army to be sold. And then a Methodist minister launched Goodwill in Boston in 1902. And he hired poor and disabled people to collect the goods and to do any necessary repairs on these. So that in return, the offerings for sale in those group shops gave immigrants a place to find clothes and become, quote-unquote, Americanized. So it was a way for people of low income to uh, have a job, but then also they could buy the clothes and change their appearance to become more Americanized, which pros and cons to that, not saying they needed to become Americanized, but at that time it was more socially acceptable to do that. So then by the 1920s, their stores were as organized as department stores. They realized that they had a good thing going, but they needed to make sure people felt comfortable in there. And so Goodwill had a fleet of trucks that went around and collected the clothing and housewares from more than 1,000 households. And that's in the 1920s. Like, that's crazy. Um, so just know that thrifting has been around for a long time. And the term thrift, which is once considered junk shops, um, the word thrift was reflected a marketing appeal that allowed middle-class housewives to feel virtuous about buying something new because they can give something back. You know, it's okay. They can get rid of that, you know, glass bowl that's been in their families for years. If they can buy new 
wonderful, beautiful China. So there was that stigma that was starting to go away. And then by 1935, there were nearly 100 Goodwill stores nationwide. That's 1935. Like that's, to me, that's a lot. And thrift stores started making up half of the Salvation Army's annual budget by the time the 1929 stock market crash occurred. And so thrift stores were really starting to have a big business. But then the Great Depression hit. And so that demand outstripped supply as more and more people couldn't afford to part with their belongings and buy new ones. And they were, you know, Great Depression was a really hard time. And it actually happened again during World War II. But then during the post-war prosperity, business boomed at Salvation Army and Goodwill thrift stores because people were donating their clothes and household items to redecorate, refresh their wardrobes, you know, move on from the World War. And so then consignment shops started popping up and they were catering to high-end clientele and that started to emerge in the 1950s. And so wealthier consumers started coveting vintage clothes. So they started finding vintage goods and it was really being now catered to a clientele that had never thought of thrifting as socially acceptable before. And then as we roll into the 21st century, thrifting has changed so much that shoppers don't even have to get off their couch. You can sit right on your laptop, you can browse and buy luxury consignment and secondhand goods. Like how amazing is that? Going all the way from push carts to Jewish workers trying to make a living to you can sit on your couch and you can get your secondhand pieces and you know exactly what they look like. So some examples are The Real Real, which I have heard really good reviews about. I've never personally used it, but that is oftentimes designer goods. And I believe that you get it for a little bit and then you return it. Um, so you get like a use out of this designer good, which is really neat because you don't always want to pay that huge lump of money for a dress you're only going to wear once. So The Real Real. Otherwise, there's thread up, which I know is often used and um, used for advertisements during YouTube videos of a couple different people I follow, and they get sponsored by thread up. And thread up is similar in that it has pictures online of exactly what you'd get, and you purchase it for a reduced price, then you would probably find it full price or sometimes even at a thrift store. But it's not, you know, the cheapest of cheap all the time. They know what the price is originally for that item, so they adjust accordingly. So then in the aftermath of the 2008 global financial crisis, there was an uptick in companies opening for profit thrift stores as cash-strapped people were looking for more affordable fashion options. So again, in 2008, becoming more socially acceptable to thrift. And then, of course, there's a well-known and, for me, well-loved song by Macklemore, thrift shop and that topped the billboard hot 100 in 2013 and thus increased foot traffic in younger consumers and i remember that time in 2013 because for me i had been thrifting with my mom and my family for definitely middle school but probably a little bit in elementary school and it wasn't cool at that time like it wasn't the cool thing to go out and do and tell people oh yeah i got it at a thrift store but I started learning in middle school, like I could get this piece of clothing for a fraction of the price and like no one would know the difference. So I really loved thrifting, but then I started seeing it becoming more trendy and more cool. And I kind of got a little upset. Like I used to go to stores, like especially um, one St. Vincent de Paul store near me. And there would just be like 
the normal camera or like electronics section of the store that often they have and a polaroid camera would just be sitting there like like i visibly remember going and like handling a polaroid camera that was just sitting there like not the new ones not the flashy really pretty colorful ones but like the old 80s 90s polaroid cameras and they would just sit there because they weren't as popular people didn't know to go look for them there and then over the years i started seeing them being put in the glass cases so you had to you know especially ask for the item and these days i very rarely find polaroid cameras i will say i have collected i think five for sure, maybe four, four or five vintage Polaroid cameras at a couple vintage antique stores, but a couple have just been at a thrift store when I happen to go and find one, but they are becoming way less um, seen because people are shopping at thrift stores. People are going in and things turn over really, really fast. And today, actually, thrift stores are part of a $14.4 billion industry. Like, that is insane. Like, it like a lot of our money now is going to the Wardzos, which I personally am grateful for actually because I don't want to support fast fashion as much, which fast fashion industry way larger than thrift stores. But studies on consumer preferences do suggest that millennials like to shop with companies that donate to charities and the thrift store model won't fall out of fashion anytime soon, which is good. And arguments for thrift shopping today include environmental friendliness and even refusing to participate in consumer system built on fast fashion and sweatshop labor and unfair labor practices. But just know that the very stores that make that possible are created to teach people to shop. So like we talked about, you know, fast fashion and sweatshop labor and unfair labor practices make it possible to shop at thrift stores like most of those clothes would not be there if that sweatshop labor didn't exist which is really sad but i like to think about it is if we continue to thrift and if we continue to you know use our goods wisely and not you know go and damage them right away that if you continue you buy it from a thrift store you donate back to a thrift store it begins that cycle and continues in there instead of just being thrown away we will rely less on the fast fashion industry and rely less on that fast fashion. Now, there's a whole other story into sweatshop labor and unfair labor practices that those people are still making money. But if we decrease the use of that, I'm hoping, and this is a really big picture thing, but I'm hoping that those people will be able to find other job opportunities because that market won't be there as much. Now, I would hate it if they suddenly then just had no job at all. And I know that's frustrating for the people in those situations um, in those countries. So I'm not saying it's an easy system, but it's just something to think about. So a little bit more about today is that Goodwill now operates 3,000 stores in the U.S. and Canada. Like, that's insane. So now I want to chat about what happens to those clothes, though, that don't get purchased. Like, not everything is everyone's cup of tea, right? Or maybe it's just overpriced for what the item is. So when an old t-shirt or blazer sits on that shelf for too long at Goodwill, it is sent to a nearby Goodwill clearance center or outlet store where clothing is sold by the pound. So if you've ever been to those, I have not, but I really want to. Maybe not with COVID right now. I'd still wear gloves. They can be kind of gross areas from what I've seen. There's a lot of different YouTube videos out there that show people going to thrift stores, I would just quickly recommend Tiny Acorn on YouTube. It's a woman named Erica and she 
goes to thrift stores and finds amazing deals on a lot of usually vintage pieces. That's her more 70s, 80s is her vibe. So look up Tiny Acorn. Otherwise, um, Haley and Bryce on YouTube. They're a couple that lives in Minnesota and not all of their videos, you know, go around thrifting, but they do often go thrifting and they have really good videos as well. So anyways, Goodwill Clearance Centers. It's a great place because it's by the pound. So sometimes you can find some wonderful pieces that were passed over at your normal thrift store because maybe it was too expensive or just like not what someone wanted, but you can find really good pieces. Mixed in with some really gross things. So I highly recommend wearing gloves when you go there. But then there's sometimes leftover clothing still, and those items are sold to textile recycling companies, which again is raising money for Goodwill's work, as well as keeping the material out of the landfill. And about 30% of used clothing that ends up with textile recyclers is cut into rags or cloths used for wiping or polishing in commercial and industrial settings, which is according to SMART, Secondary Materials and Recycled Textiles. So approximately 20% of unwanted clothing and textiles is processed back into basic fiber, which then is remanufactured to make furniture stuffing, upholstery, residential insulation, and more, which is really neat. I had no idea that that was a thing. I really hate the idea that my clothing will just get thrown in a landfill, so it's nice to know that about 20% of that unwanted clothing is processed back into basic fiber. But then only 5% is completely unusable and discarded, and usually that's because the material is wet, moldy, or contaminated with solvents or chemicals, which I was kind of surprised at this statistic. Um, I would have assumed it would have been much larger, that only 5% is completely unusable. But if you think about all that is donated, like, I can't even imagine um, how much clothing is donated just from, like, what my family sometimes donates. I'm sure it's a lot, even though it's 5%. But then you have to look at the largest percentage, right? So we talked about 30% of used clothing um, is cut into rags and then approximately 20% is turned back into basic fiber and then the 5% is completely unusable. While the 45%, the largest percentage of unwanted clothes and textile is packed into large bales and sold to the secondhand clothing market, either in the US or in other, I don't like to use the word developing countries, but essentially developing countries. And that's where demand for quality used clothes is actually high. And the global trade of secondhand clothing is a multi-billion dollar industry. Like that's insane. Just like trading secondhand clothing, that's a multi-billion dollar industry. And used clothing exports from OECD countries were worth about $1.9 billion in 2009. So the global trade of secondhand clothing is a multi-billion dollar industry. Multi-billion dollar industry just for trading around secondhand clothing. And used clothing exports were worth about $1.9 billion in 2009, which I'm sure it's a lot more these days. And the figure actually should be closer to $3 billion when you account for smuggling and transshipments that aren't documented in official records. So there's a lot of secondhand clothing being passed around in different countries, just readjusted. And the export actually of secondhand clothing from North America and Europe to emerging economies, particularly nations in West Africa, that's become controversial. And critics are stating that the influx of cheap clothes severely hurts local textile industries, which very much makes sense. You know, you're having these clothing 
that's just there's so much in the US and Europe that's just wanting to be getting rid of because it's like I said that fast fashion people just don't care about it you have too much well what are we going to do about it we're going to you know sell it to someone else that needs it but because in West Africa they're getting a lot of cheap clothes that local textile industry that is making I'm sure way better clothing than what the fast fashion industry produces but because it's cheap and easy and people can wear it really um just go through it really fast then then in West Africa they're not allowing that textile industry to thrive and that local industry can provide substantial economic growth and can create jobs and generate tax revenue and this could reportedly lift millions of people out of poverty but because we're just getting rid of our clothes and selling it to them for a cheap price and they're wearing it not going to wear things from the local industry that's really hurting their local economy which Yes, you can say, oh, well, it's just their problems, it's their country's problem, but no, it is our world's problem. We need to take care of this. And the inherent problem is not that your unwanted clothes are being redistributed across the world. Like that's like the further down the line problem. The real problem is fast fashion. You know, those clothes that are cheap, they're low quality and they're designed to be in style for a season or maybe even a month or a couple weeks. And these quickly disposed clothes are the reason why so many secondhand clothes from the West end up in Africa and why cheap Chinese imports displace African-made goods. So we need to be part of the solution. In doing so, it's purchasing clothes that are high quality, classic styles that you will wear for years. If you've ever heard of the capsule wardrobe that is centered on having clothes that you can, you know, wear multiple times, wear in different outfits, you know, not something that stands out all the time, but if you revamp it with a couple other pieces in your wardrobe, like it will be a classic piece that will last you for many, many years. Not, you know, the next, I don't even know what trends are out there, so I couldn't even give examples, but, you know, uh, crop tops, I'll say, you know, that was a trend or maybe kind of still is, you know, crop tops or ruffled skirts or whatever it is for you. Like try and create a more, cold wardrobe so maybe work on having that capsule wardrobe where you have that classic styles you know you're going to love for years and it's not something that in your closet one day and then goes out the next so i would just encourage you to not be a part of the fast fashion movement as best you can try and be better for the economy for the environment and your pocket and i'll be honest you know i'm not perfect it's not that i always buy secondhand but i do try and go to those places first if i'm looking for a new jacket or I want that pair of pants, or even new shoes sometimes, you can honestly find really good deals at thrift stores. It's not always going to be easy. Sometimes, you know, you need winter boots, and you need really good ones that aren't going to leak, and people haven't donated for whatever reason. So sometimes you need that new piece, but if you work more and more on buying secondhand and having those capsule classic items in your wardrobe, you won't have to go out and look all the time for new clothes. So thank you so much for listening today. I hope you learned a new thing or two. And I'll just say again, if you have a St. Vincent de Paul near you, goodwill is good too. But St. Vinny's, as it's well known and loved, I would highly recommend going there or checking out an antique or vintage store near you or supporting a local person who sells their goods online. That is also another good way. You know, we got Depop, Poshmark, or there's different websites people are producing, or Instagram accounts. Quick plug, I have an account called Wild Honey Thrift, all one word on Instagram, if you're looking for a place to support thrifted goods. 
not brand new items that you are going to get sent. They're fully washed, fully cleaned, and culminated to you directly what you're wanting. So Wild Honey Thrift on Instagram if you're looking for um, some new items for your closet. So thank you guys so much for listening, and I look forward to having you join me again on next week's episode. Thanks so much, friends, and hope you have a great rest of your day.